Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. Well, today I'm excited to speak to Mr. Joe Bacus. He is a colleague of mine and a friend, and he's had a bit more of what I would consider a traditional career path in, in many ways, but, but not totally. He's currently working for our career and technical school district in media relations and works with our social media platforms actually to write articles about many of the good things that's happening across our district and get out to the public. He's a very good writer. In fact, he makes me nervous sometimes when I write him back or give quotes and things like that that I have to make sure it's done. But I trust that uh, he's going to take it in, in a way that's, that's very good and would edit anything I need to do anyway. Uh, but he's, he's very good with print media and uh, his career path has, has seen a few changes along the way and he's, he's had a great career and it's a very interesting journey. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Happy to be here, Sean. All right, thank you. You know that the purpose of this podcast is to discuss career paths, choices and opportunities that our guests have taken or, or perhaps not have taken. And we, we all have choices in, uh, which road to take. But we'll discuss how your career started, how it progressed, and maybe why it's developed in the way it has. Uh, but really, along the way, what have you learned? What have you seen? Uh, and all the changes that, that have taken place for you, you know, personally, professionally, and, and, and all those all those moments that really happen between the bullet points. So that's what we're interested in. So, Joe, tell us a little bit more about what you're currently doing uh, for your in, in your career. Okay, so I have two uh, part-time jobs right now that are kind of related to what to my journalism career. The one here being uh, doing writing and media uh, relations for the school district, which uh, never had anyone in that position uh, previously, as I understand it. And so uh, a lot of times when there'd be a... Uh, a news event or uh, a, a worthwhile program that, that, that the superintendent or, or whoever thought could use a little publicity, uh, a principal or somebody would be assigned to write it up. And of course, they're very busy, so they, they were not uh, enthusiastic about uh, doing that kind of thing. So when I came in, uh, everybody was uh, very uh, anxious to have me take over those duties. and. Uh, and you know it was something I was very comfortable with, and 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 the district with five campuses and all the the varied uh, uh, disciplines that the kids are involved in, and and there's just so much to write about that uh, is very interesting, I think, and I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed uh, you know working with the kids, working with the staff, uh, administration, 
And uh, you know, it is a part-time job. It's not a, a not a full-time job. I understand the state has some some qualms about school districts having full-time public relations people. I, I don't quite understand that, but perhaps in the past it was a place to uh, to put political appointees and mm -hmm. no-show jobs and whatnot. I don't know. I don't know the history of it, but. Uh, <laughs> Certainly, I think a lot of really neat stuff is going on in in our schools, and the people, the people paying for it, the taxpayers, uh, you know, deserve to uh, to know about it. My other part-time job I currently have is closer to my previous uh, role as a copy editor for uh, the Star Ledger, uh, and that's a proofreading for the uh, Princeton Alumni Magazine. Princeton Alumni Weekly, they call it, although it's no longer a weekly, it's a more like a monthly now, but uh, very, uh, very professional. Yeah, as you might imagine, Princeton graduates are Supreme Court justices and senators and the judge, you know, uh, the, in the arts and in science and winning uh, Pulitzer Prizes and Nobels. And, and so it's pretty interesting uh, reading for me, and all I have to do is make sure all the the spellings and the commas and whatnot are do 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 a, a, some fact checking, and now with the internet, it's so easy to do fact checking. Not mm -hmm. like in the old days where you had to call your local reference librarian and, <laughs> and have him or her look th look things up for you. Now it, it you can do it almost in instantaneously. So it's uh, uh, I enjoy that job too, but that's only maybe five five to ten hours a month. It's not a it's not a cumbersome thing at all right you know uh, in my semi-retirement it's a, it's a kind of a nice job to have good good yeah I, I i'm fascinated by uh, some of the stuff too i of course like to to hear about all the good things happening and, and all these places both your part-time jobs are, are very interesting the social media one that i know uh well because i work with you uh, and and i know that there there really is i mean you said it uh, just a couple minutes ago but there's so much happening and every single day is just churning out and churning out. You could and easily do a 40-hour week just just uh, writing up press releases, but you know we have to kind of pick our spots and uh, and hit the highlights. And uh, <laughs> I also do the uh, the Facebook page, which is uh, the parents. I think are mostly uh, the ones who uh, follow that. The kids are way beyond Facebook at this point. Yeah, but uh, the parents uh, enjoy hearing about the the things that their children are doing in sport, which which I enjoy writing up. Yeah, and that's that's really it. So what social media platform is happening right now? Where are people getting the information? Where's the target audience? Obviously, that's that's part of your job and and getting that message out to them. So uh, I do you know follow things on Facebook myself and, and of course our stuff. I always enjoy seeing picture out there about what's what's happening but mostly read the article and, and get a lot of good things going on uh, I'm spoiled to know a lot of that ahead of time or at least have a heads up on some of those things but uh, it's always great to see that and I know the parents and and I know for a fact that I've spoken to people that uh, even alumni and people that uh, parents that have followed it you know even though their child may have graduated a year or two ago uh, still keep in touch and, and see those things and, and, and it's it's about promoting all the good things that our students are learning and doing. And especially to uh, people who uh, may have children coming up through elementary school that, that are getting to the point where 
you know, we call our district here a uh, district, uh, a school of choice for the kids. They, mm -hmm. they choose to come here. And, uh, and uh, just to make parents and students aware of the possibilities uh, that range from uh, what, what traditionally you would think of as vocational education, uh, you know, auto repair, welding, uh, HVAC, uh, building, carpentry, all those things right up through uh, the arts and culinary and baking. And uh, so we have dancers, actors, filmmakers. It's uh, really, I think a lot of people are not aware of the, the broad scope of vocational possibilities now mm -hmm. through, uh, through public uh, vocational schools. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, it, we've often heard that, you know, we're the best kept secret. Obviously, it's something that we don't want to keep secret. We don't want it to be <laughs> secret. No, no. We want want the uh, talent out there to uh, make use of the what's available to them, uh, which is uh, you know just a, a broad, broad range of uh, possibilities. So we obviously see the the importance of your position, even if it is a part time job, and maybe that's regulated by you know some of the past practices and other things that. Uh, help or hurt sometimes, whatever it, it's the circumstances are. But you just mentioned a handful of programs that we do have here. We do have over you know, 30 different types of programs on five different campuses. We're just one of you know, 21 vocational technical districts in the state of New Jersey alone, and there's many more comprehensive school districts, and uh, there's a lot to tell about everyone so take your job and you know there's multiply that by many times in school districts <clears throat> but your job is not really unique in a way because most organizations and businesses and corporations also have their media relations their social media and, and people to to get out the the positive PR and really show what's going on here so you know there's little aspects of your job that that certainly other people are looking at and saying, well, I, I, I would like to do that, whether it's part-time or full-time or, or get into that. So some of the intricacies of your your position now, and, and I know you, and we'll talk about your career uh, leading up to it, but <coughs> you apply a lot of things that you've done over the years, and, and yet you make it look so simple now because <laughs> you have the experience. So getting your story, getting the story, talking to people, people who, who you do so kind of I don't know just go through some of those little details right now of if you had to dissect parts of your position right now what stands out that you know other people would look at and go oh okay that's the way it's done yeah well you know you talk about public relations uh, throughout uh, business and industry certainly uh, you're right there's a lot of people in that field and over my 40-year uh, newspaper career I've dealt with many, many uh, public relations people. Uh, and uh, I kind of apply my experience to my job in that I tend, uh, a lot of times when you get a press release, uh, you would get a press release from a, uh, a company or an organization. Uh, it's not written as, as news, it's written as uh, promotion. So, you know, John Smith, president of you know the ace of widget company announces well you know that to a reporter or an editor looking at that okay that's just uh, you know the, uh, 
that immediately gets crossed out and okay, what's the news here? What are they trying to tell us? So I, in my job, I try to write for the publication and not write to, uh, you know, to impress the superintendent of schools or the president of the board of education or whatever. I'm, I, I, that, that to me is, uh, is the, uh, not what I want to do. What I want to do is, is get right to the nugget of the news. This is this is what's happening, and you know I have a lot of experience with that, so it, it makes it uh, you know it's it's very easy for me. Uh, you know we, we talk about the writing, and writing has always been something I've been good at. That's my talent. You know, uh, so um, you know just write as clearly. And and one one discipline you learn in journalism is to be direct and say it in as few words uh, as you can, you know, not, not, not completely eliminating descriptives and color and, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to say, uh, you know, he brushed back his uh, carefully coiffured uh, <laughs> curls or whatever. Uh, and it's not, it's not essential to the news, but, but it, it, sometimes it helps with the telling the story. But, you know, uh, Journalism at its best is is conversational. You know, it's as though you. Uh, I often used to tell my journalism students that uh, if you won the lottery, and you passed your friend on the street, you'd say, "I won the lottery." You wouldn't say, "Well, I got up this morning and I had my breakfast, and uh, you know, about you know, about an hour later, I decided to check my lottery tickets, and guess what? I won. Well, mm -hmm. no, you wouldn't do that. You would go directly to what the news is, and that's what I, I try to do. To, and uh, now with the way the media world is, with a lot of the um, online news that a lot of people, most people probably now get their, uh, get their news some somehow electronically. Mm -hmm. If you write a if you write a news story, if your press release is a news story, a lot of times it will be posted just exactly how you wrote it, uh, and you know nobody's fooling around with it. Nobody, uh, and I think that you know the, a lot of the contacts I have out there in the various uh, website, you know, news sites and whatnot, recognize that I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. and they're so they don't, uh, you know, they don't feel they have to rewrite my uh, my copy very much. So your other part-time job here, I, which I didn't know necessarily that much about previously, uh, and, and that's fascinating too. Obviously, it, Princeton is a you know everybody knows that institution. The closest I'm ever going to get to the Ivy League, Sean, <laughs> is uh, working for Princeton, and yeah. it's a it's a really uh, really uh, well done magazine. Anyone would enjoy reading it, but uh, but their alum their alumni are, are very very loyal and. Interested in what's going on on campus, and uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I'd, I've walked through the campus many times. We've gone to the theater. Uh, we enjoy being there, and, and every time we go, we learn a little bit more. Especially uh, about the alumni, in, in particular. I uh, we've gone to uh, one of the bars uh, across the street, the restaurant uh, and bar, uh, and looking at all the pictures on the wall and seeing the former graduates and and who. It's really the kind of the who's who. Who's who. In Prin the Princeton States. is such a neat uh, little town uh, uh, surrounding the university that uh, you know I, it's uh, I think any, anybody would enjoy a visit mm -hmm. there. There's a lot of history there, uh, independent of the university. There's a lot of history in Princeton. Uh, sure. And uh, but the university itself has a wonderful uh, art museum and uh, the 
there's just so many um, cultural things going on all the time. McCarter Theater, uh, obviously, and, uh, and lot, like you said, lots of lots of good restaurants and pubs. Uh, so you could really spend some time there and see some good things. Obviously, Washington's Crossing and and what they've done during that time period. Uh, Battle of the Battle of Princeton, Princeton Battle of yep. Trenton. You've exactly. got uh, historic houses there, Morven and mm -hmm. Drumthwacket. You know, Einstein lived there, and uh, his house is right on the main drag right, there. Very nice. In right. fact, the one restaurant pub that we've gone into, his name is etched into one of the uh, the booth's tables. Yeah, there. a lot and of alumni li uh, love to recount their encounters with uh, with the great Albert Einstein over the years. I see you're a, a, an editor for that. I copy to editor just to to look over. I imagine it's a pretty easy job. You've kind of alluded to that. Uh, but, but there's it's, a lot uh, of it's interesting in that they do it. They don't do it electronically. I proofread co uh, hard copy mm. with a red pen, and uh, you know, mark it up. And just like in the old days when you yeah. were when you were doing copy editing pre computers, which my career bridges uh, goes back to uh, goes back to uh, uh, when we, we used to uh, type our stories in triplicate with carbon paper and. Mm. Cut and paste. Uh, you know, if you had to move a paragraph, you actually cut it out and pasted it. You know, where you wanted it, and uh, so uh, and hot type. You know, linotype mm -hmm. machines, not uh, photo offset like came later. Uh, so yeah, I was I started out back in the dark ages of uh, you know a newsroom from when I started wasn't that different from a newsroom in the 1920s or 1930s. A lot of old uh, clackety clack typewriters and wire wire machines uh, spitting out copy, uh, <laughs> and uh, conveyor belts and uh, and uh, old men sitting around the rim with uh, sleeve garters and eye shades on and whatnot. <laughs> it was really uh, like you'd stepped into a time warp, but uh, that changed all pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, in the uh, late 70s when everything went computer computerized. So that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah, just even saying that stuff, you're bringing up so many memories of mine. I I, I might be just a couple years younger than you, but uh, I've certainly seen a lot of that over time. And uh, using a typewriter and, and doing all that back in the day, and, and go. I've never been a good writer, especially during my early years in school. I've gotten better over time, obviously doing a lot of things in my job, but uh, seeing that difference when I went to college. I started working in the graphics department and, and doing some uh, changes, really. I lithography and, and some other things were first and working with a Heidelberg press. Right. Uh, you know, you kind of right. get the idea of uh, the and early I, days. And I actually filed copy in a couple of my jobs by teletype, which mm. uh, is even harder than the type the typewriter. And I never, I never was uh, forward-thinking enough to take typing as a course either you know, in school or uh, independently. So I was a touch, I was not a touch typer. I was a hunt and, what they call hunt and peck, uh, and still am. Uh, but it's a lot easier on the computer where you can, you know, make changes uh, very easily. On a teletype, yeah. as opposed to a typewriter, you could only go forward. So if you mistyped something, you couldn't go back. You had to, the, so if, if you misspelled the word, then you would just type XXX after the word and that told the copy editor to cross it out, and then you would retype it. So you you only went forward, and uh, 
the way you would signal the other end that you were done, you had a bell, you would hit a bell. And one of my editors absolutely despised hitting the <laughs> bell. So if you were upset with him for any reason, you would really give the bell a, uh, <laughs> give the bell a ring. Yeah. But they had to, uh, you, you know, uh, there were situations where you would send your copy uh, for the day and they had forgotten to turn the machine on at the other end, so no copy was received. You know, I, I, when I was working nights one time, I get home at, you know, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm just getting into bed, and the phone rings, and it's the, ed the night editor, and he says, Joe, did you send any copy tonight? I said, yes, I did. He said, well, we didn't get it. And uh, so I had to then go back mm -hmm. to the office, pick up the typed copy and drive it down to uh, down to the uh, newsroom so they could uh -huh. get it in the paper for the next day. All this at like three, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Time so. is ticking <laughs> and things have to get through. To yeah. So it was, uh, and of course then, you know, he would say, well, your fault. You should have called and made sure the machine was on. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> oh, so many timelines. All right. So. I'm very interested because I, I, I know, you know, in talking about all these things and the changes that have gone on, and, and you've been pretty directed uh, in in your interest and in, in your career. Uh, so let's 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 do that time journey now. Let's go all the way back. You've you've been a, a native New Jersey guy. You grew up uh, in uh, New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey in Kearney and uh, went to high school. I went to uh, I went to Catholic school throughout my education right through BA uh, so I went to St. Stephen's School in Kearney I went to Essex Catholic High School in Newark and mm -hmm. uh, both my parents worked in Newark we uh, Kearney is a suburb of Newark and we were in Newark a lot uh, what did your parents do they, they my father was a, uh, a porter in an office building mm -hmm. and moving furniture and doing like odd jobs in, a, in one of the big uh, the Raymond Commerce building in Newark one of the tallest buildings in Newark and my mother was a telephone operator uh, New Jersey Bell long-distance operator oh. my father worked during the day my mother worked at night and we had a half an hour a day where we uh, would have dinner together and then she'd get on the bus and go to Newark and got home around midnight uh. and uh, so it was a uh, you know it was a strictly a very blue-collar household growing up in Kearney which most of Kearney yep. at the time was and then uh, I guess my, my interest in journalism started in high school, uh, mostly through my interest in sports. Mm -hmm. uh, I went, uh, Essex Catholic at the time was an all boys, uh, 2,500 boys in, uh, in Newark. And uh, there were, uh, we, had, we had four football teams. We had varsity, junior varsity, sophomore, and freshman. Yeah. So in my sophomore year of high school, I was the manager of the sophomore football team. Mm -hmm. One of my best friends was on the team, and he talked me into, all right, you know, be the manager so this way we can go home together and whatnot. And so at the end of the season, uh, one of the older uh, guys asked me to write up the, uh, the sophomore football season for the school paper. Mm -hmm. So that was my first writing I ever did uh, journalism-wise. And then the following year, the same uh, older guy asked me to be a sports writer for the, uh, the name of, the, of our school paper was The Eagle. Yep. So I was a sports writer for The Eagle covering games and whatnot. 
And then in my senior year, I was the sports editor of the Eagle and uh, then went on to Seton Hall. Uh, so let me just say, I'll stop right there because I, I'm, I'm just curious about um, was it the sports aspect or was it the writing aspect that kind of drew you? I, I think it was the sports aspect just to be, you know, to have a chance to be on the sideline mm -hmm. and to uh, Essex Catholic was a uh, being a giant all boys school was kind of an athletic powerhouse. We had uh, undefeated football team. My four years there, the uh, cross country team and the fencing team never lost. Mm -hmm. They were undefeated for all four years. We had Olympians, two of my classmates. Uh, I graduated in 1967. Two of my classmates in the class of 67 were in the 1968 Olympics. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Marty LaCoury, who was a, a champion miler, and Mark Morrow, who had the uh, s national record for the javelin. Wow. Both made the Olympic team as teenagers. Uh, and, you know, that was very exciting to be uh, the team's the track and field team was so uh, powerful that they would send the track guys to one meet and they would send the, the weight guys, the field guys, the shot putters and javelin and everything, discus, to another meet and they would win both meets. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just a, a real powerhouse. And uh, so that was exciting to be part of, to be on the sidelines for, for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it really was the sports. I, I had no notion about going into journalism or yeah. uh, if anything I might have had a vague idea about going into like TV to be a TV sports uh, okay. you know, announcer or whatever sure you know but it wasn't any kind of uh, plan that I had to, to do that uh, and then uh, yeah and, that, and that's good that's that's the, the the aspect there that whether you realize it or you don't at the time you know what draws you to something that that yeah, so I, I think that, you know, if you do what you're interested in, uh, some people would be science or math or, mm -hmm. you know, the arts, uh, you know, you pursue that and you enjoy it, it can lead you into, uh, into a path that can become a career. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've had, even in, in my life, you know, I've, I've had various jobs. One of the things I did was um, event videography and, and other things that related to video and, and whether it be highlight tapes or other projects that we did, interviews, that um, just being around those areas, you know, it wasn't so exciting to do a, a dance recital, but yet a football game, you know, I was, I was right there and, and came right home and, and happy to do it. So uh, I know my daughter has an interest in sports, not necessarily to play them, but to be around them and, and watch them and meet people and do things like that. So. It's the area that attracts you, and then you know what you're working with around that. So and I think there's a lot more oppor opportunities now in uh, sports. In uh, people uh, study sports management, and uh, and uh, you know uh, uh, the physical aspects of training and and all uh, sports exercise. Uh, and I know we have some of that in uh, one of our majors. Uh, Right. have to do with that, which uh, is just a lot. And, you know, the whole analytics aspect of uh, all the math now that uh, goes into analyzing sports. Mm. So you need uh, you need math majors and people who know IT and, and all those things as well as... Uh, sure. Yeah, we break down all those statistics and, and put it all together, percentages. Yeah, I think sometimes it's a little overdone <laughs> from my point of view, but... Uh, 
trying to get that angle looking at that. But <laughs> but as far as career choices and, and pathways and maybe setting yourself up, and that's part of where I draw this interest and go, what were the influencing factors and, and things like that, you know, that, that you see and do and, and maybe consciously or, or not. You talked about getting the red pen out and, and working with paper and, and doing the editing there. I myself, going through school, have seen a lot of red marks on my papers. <laughs> uh, so that that's something that if I were in your position, someone said, "Here, write it up." No, I'm not good enough. <laughs> I, I I I couldn't do that. You know, I can explain it to you and and do that, but writing it would be a somewhat difficult thing back in the day. But obviously, you felt comfortable with that, and and you did that. Now, you can elaborate a little bit more on that, but also at the same time, I'm curious that you know you're you're father and your mother working and you have a younger sister and uh, there's a lot happening you know around town and maybe you had a part-time job or or not or, or or just doing little things what other influences are in your life are there other friends family extended family members uh, that were leading up to the time that you chose to go to college Right. So and how, do you, how do you get it, to that point? There really wasn't in my family uh, a lot of uh, people who went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my uh, aunts and uncles, and of course they uh, came through the Depression and World War II and Korea, and a lot of, the, uh, my, uh, a lot of my uncles were in the service. My parents actually were, were a little bit older when they got married. They were, um, uh, my father was 47 when I was born, and my mother was 40, so that uh, they weren't kind of surprised by my arrival. And then my younger sister came 15 months later. So we were on the, on the young end of the, of the family. My mother was one of 13 children, so she had, I had first cousins who had children older than myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the grandchildren had started to come before my mother had her first uh, child. So, you know, as far as influencing, it was just always, I think, my parents' goal that we would go to college. That was always kind of a given, even right. though neither of my parents had even gone to high school. My mother went as far as eighth grade and then went to work for the phone company. Yeah. And my father only got to like fourth grade and uh, went to work in a silk mill mm. in Pennsylvania uh, as like a 12-year-old and then went in the coal mines for 10 years uh, before the Depression hit. They both came to New Jersey, although they, they didn't live that far apart in Pennsylvania. They didn't know each other, came to New Jersey, and that's where they, uh, they met. As far as, you know, picking out colleges and deciding on majors and all that stuff, there was no help from the older mm-hmm. generation. They had no experience with that, and they kind of uh, left it to us to uh, figure out what to do. So, okay, so that leads to the question of where did the influence come from? Where did the help come from or the guidance, shall we say? Was that through I school? I think when I got to high school, everybody, uh, pretty much everyone was aimed at going to college. Mm-hmm. Now, and this course was during the Vietnam War, so if you did not go on to college and get a deferment, you were likely to be drafted mm-hmm. and uh, go into the service, which a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, my fellow students ended up doing. You know, I had no, my parents didn't have a lot of money, obviously, so, you know, going to uh, 
Seton Hall at the time, not, not so much today, at the time was very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, hundred, over 100 of my 525 classmates from Essex Catholic went on to Seton Hall. So we had like a built-in mm -hmm. little community of uh, uh, there. And in, at the time I arrived there, it was also an all-male school, although that ended fairly quickly. It mm -hmm. went co-ed, uh, I think it was my second semester there. They had, a, they had kind of a crisis. They had female students in the Newark campus uh, studying education and nursing. And the, uh, the, the story I got was that the building was condemned and they had to find a place for all these <laughs> women suddenly. So they just said, oh, let's go co-head and they moved, them up to, they moved them up to South Orange. So suddenly came back from Christmas break and there were women on campus, <laughs> which, was, which was lovely. We loved it. Yeah, kind of a shock, but yeah. it's okay. Yeah, right? yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> and uh, so then, yeah, so then Seton Hall and uh, joined the uh, student newspaper there, again right. in sports, you know, okay. sports that led me to uh, the sports editor at the time was elected editor uh, for the next year, for my sophomore year, and he liked me and he made me the sports editor. So I, I wasn't even finished with my freshman year and I was sports editor of right. the student newspaper, which I did for two years. And that seemed there was a lot of uh, fun. I got to go on trips with the basketball team and I got to do radio. Right. They used to have a, uh, well they still do, they have a show called Hall Line that is on the air after the basketball games in which people can call in mm. and ask questions and discuss the games and whatnot. So I did that for, for two years, two or three years maybe, and uh, did some basketball trips and did the color, so-called color commentary on the games and everything. Yeah. So I, I loved it. I, that was something I had always thought about maybe doing, and it was a lot of fun. Good. Now you went to Seton Hall. You ended up being an English major. Did you go there specifically to be an English major? I did not. I was a the major was called communication arts, mm -hmm. uh, and it included radio, TV, film, theater, all lumped into uh, and journalism. There was no journalism major. Okay. But uh, at the end of my freshman year, one of my English professor uh, said. Uh, said, uh, you know, you write well, you should be a writer and you should get out of communications and get into the English, you know, to, if you want to really learn the language and learn mm -hmm. to write, you should be an English major. And so I went to, I tried to get an appointment with the chairman of the communication department to discuss this possibility mm -hmm. and I could never get in to see the guy. So I just changed majors, you know, willy nilly. <laughs> I changed to uh, English major based on the advice of this professor. Thank thankfully, uh, had the right idea for me and um, became an English major, but I took as many journalism courses as I could fit into my schedule. Uh, we didn't do minors back then, but I probably had enough credits to be a uh, communications minor. Right. Uh, and uh, we had, they had adjuncts teaching journalism, so these were these were journalism professionals, editors from the Newark, Eve Newark Evening News editor. We had an editor from the Bergen Record who taught us copy editing. And uh, the, the uh, basic journalism was taught by this. Um, he was actually the night editor of the Newark Evening News at the time, a, a man named Dick Blood. 
which is, I think, just a great <laughs> name for a for yeah. a night editor of a newspaper. You know, yeah. city editor Dick Flood. It's almost like it was <laughs> made up, but he was terrific. He was absolutely terrific. And about midway through the course, he got an offer to be the Sunday editor of the New York Daily News, which was a huge promotion yeah. for him. And he came to us and he said, "Look, I, I have a contract to teach you guys during the day." <coughs> three days a week probably, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, something like that, an hour-long class. And if I fulfill this contract, I would have to turn down this job offer with the New York Daily News. He said, the alternative being I could come in on Saturday and we could do the three hours uh, all in one if you guys would agree to do it. And mm -hmm. we all agreed and he was happy you know yeah. they got to take the new job and it actually turned out to be a much better kind of a lab format for three right. hours we could really get into uh into uh writing and all that thing uh, with him and he was terrific he <laughs> he w it was funny he would say uh, uh you know if you want to get in the newspaper business tell your tell your girlfriends and your family right now that you're never going to be home on christmas and thanksgiving you're going to work all the holidays you're going to work all the terrible shifts, uh, and, uh, and you better keep a pair of rubber boots in your trunk because you never know what kind of muck you're going to have to walk through <laughs> to uh, to get the story you want to get. You're going to be out in floods and fires, and and uh, yeah, he was pretty. I mean, it was yeah. pretty well right on advice, you know. Sure. I mean, there's uh, I've worked every shift there is, uh, nights, days, overnights uh, for two years when my kids were babies. I worked 4 a.m. to noon on an afternoon newspaper and uh, was constantly sleep deprived and, and uh, just uh, miserable, you know, but, uh, but uh, you, d you did what you had to do. I worked every mm -hmm. holiday uh, there is. For years, I worked New Year's Day covering uh, government reorganization meetings. Mm. Um, you know, Chris I only had to work Christmas Day once because uh, at the at the Star-Ledger, we had a lot of Jewish uh, employees, and they mm. would volunteer to work on Christmas to give the uh, Christian, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Christian uh, people there, yeah. uh, the day off, which yeah. I thought was lovely. Yeah. Mm, well, that all that comes into play, obviously, when you're talking about careers and choices and, and you know, the love to write and, and good stories is, is one thing. But to actually put that into practice and say, okay, I'm going to have to be maybe – to get the story, I might have to go out on the weekends or at nights or uh, holidays or in the rain or snow. Uh, you know, it's just not like being a mailman, uh, you know, to do those things. But I started at the Star-Ledger in November, like mid-November. And so I was the junior person on the staff and had to work Thanksgiving Day, mm. which was bad enough just having to work on Thanksgiving Day. And I don't think I had ever worked on Thanksgiving Day before. And... Uh, I'm in the newsroom in Newark, and there's a train accident. A bunch of teenagers coming home from the Macy's parade in New York decided it would be a good idea to climb onto the top of the path train and were electrocuted, and two, two dead. So here I am on Thanksgiving, yeah. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day now. I'm well, I'm well into my career, you know, at, by the time I got to the Star-Ledger. And I'm walking the railroad tracks in Harrison out to where this train is uh, train is stopped, where mm. these two kids have been killed. 
I mean, this is not, and it's not my idea of the way I wanted to spend Thanksgiving Day, but yeah, this is what we got to do. Yeah, that's it. So you, you, it, it comes with the territory, as they say. So my wife, being a nurse, and and other sisters of mine, and certainly I worked in the grocery stores. And some sometimes things just don't close when you want them to close, or people get sick at you know inconvenient times. So uh, it is what it is, and and that's the choices we make in life. So. So let's just go back to the maybe you know your college days here and and you're you're putting in a lot of time in school and and you're getting at the end yeah, of here. Yeah, I, I wasn't what you would call a model student. I was definitely more into the extracurricular. I spent more time on the newspaper than I probably did with my studies. Mm -hmm. Much to my later regret, I wish I had been a little more devoted to to my studies. But uh, you know, I I passed and kept going. I had no real clear career path at all in mind. And of course, in the, this was n uh, my senior year was 1970 to 71, the height of the Vietnam War. So you had looming ahead that when you lost your student deferment, what were you going to do? You know, some, some, uh, some of my friends were able to get into the National Guard or they enlisted in the Coast Guard or what you know that you knew you that that obligation was looming over whatever uh, was ahead for you. Mm -hmm. So I had no real clear path to what, what I wanted to do. Luckily for me, the uh, Congress, I was, uh, you know, we had the draft lottery back then. And my mother used to tell me the story that I was born right around midnight and the doctor said, which date would you like to me to put on the birth certificate? And I said, be June 25th or June 24th. Mm -hmm. And she always choose, chose June 25th. And I thought, oh, well, that's a neat story. You know, until the draft lottery and June 24th turned out to be number 300 and something. Mm -hmm. And June 25th turned out to be number 124, right? That meant that I was, very likely to be drafted right after graduation. I got my notice to go for my physical. I went down to Newark, took the draft physical, took all the aptitude tests and everything. And of course, phone calls began immediately. Every branch of the service wanted me to go into officer training. They wanted, you know, they were looking for college graduates and yeah. to go into different fields. Well, what are you interested in? Well, I'm interested in journalism. Oh, we can send you to Army Journalism School at the Fort Leonard Wood, Kansas. Uh, you know, uh, well, let me get back to you on that. You know, mm -hmm. and because uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, if I'm going to go to Vietnam, I want to go with a gun, not with a pen. You know, I mean, <laughs> it didn't didn't seem like it was something I really wanted to do. But anyway, so at the time of my graduation, they had reached number 120 in the in the draft numbers. So I, the next group I was going to be in, 124, I was going to be in the next group that mm. would be called. And then Congress was fighting with the president, President Nixon, over the war, and they let the draft law lapse. They did not renew the draft law on July 1st. And the whole summer, they weren't able to draft anybody. Mm. And uh, when they finally renewed the draft law, there were so many people backed up up to number 120 that they announced they were not going to raise the number for the rest of the year. And that's the way it worked. Hmm. You were only exposed for a year. So at the end of 1971, I was off the hook for the draft. 
And by that time, I had gotten my first uh, newspaper job uh, in October of that year. I was just hanging around the, news, the uh, newspaper office at Seton Hall, even though I had graduated. And the, uh, one of the uh, journalism professors said, uh, you know, they're hiring down at the local weekly, which was the news record of Maplewood and South Orange. He said, get down there, you know, just stop playing around here, you know, get a job. <laughs> You know, so I did. I went down and I got the job, and so I became a reporter for the weekly in Maplewood and South Orange. That was my first newspaper job at $100 a week, which okay. I thought, wow, first time living at home. This is great, you know, $100 yeah. a week. <laughs> yeah, well, you're going to spend all that money. <laughs> yeah, how am I going to spend all that money? Good. So yeah. that was your first job. And right. Kind I was of a reporter for the – and then they, uh, the owner of the – the, of that paper on three other papers in the Oranges, uh, the East Orange Record, the West Orange Chronicle, and the Orange Transcript. Uh, weekly papers came out on Thursday. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and uh, he decided, to, they decided to send me over to the Orange office, which was the headquarters for the other three papers. And the, the uh, owner was a, uh, a man named Walter Worrell, who was an entrepreneur. He had started as a newspaper ad salesman and bought these papers. And later owned, I mean, he only owned the four papers when I worked for him, but later owned many more. He owned quite a chain of uh, weekly papers in Essex and Union County. Very enterprising man and uh, gave me my first start, which I'm grateful for. But anyway, so I went over to the Orange Transcript, and, I, and they, in, in lieu of money, they give you a title. So I was the managing editor of the Orange Transcript. But, but so I was the reporter, the editor. I was everything. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, and I had a lot of fun there. I was, it was a, a neat town, you know, uh, Italian-American-based town that had become more diverse over the years. And uh, they had a, a city commission form of government, which I, I thought was very odd. You know, each, each there were five commissioners who selected the mayor from among themselves. And then they each had a, a responsibility. One was the police commissioner. One was public works. You know, so they had distinct areas of uh, interest. And uh, I was, you know, I went to all the meetings, Board of Ed, Zoning Board, Planning Board, City Commission. Uh, you know, so there was a lot of night work involved. And, uh, but I, I, I was always kind of a procrastinator. So working on a weekly uh, was very taxing for me because I would put everything off till the last minute. You know, and the deadline was like, Wednesday morning, you know, and you need, then you'd go to the shop to make up the paper, cut yeah. and paste, uh, photo offset. You know, Wednesday morning, I'd still be banging out stories. I would have, uh, you know, covered a meeting on Tuesday night, and I'd have right. to write it up and, uh, you know, right down to the wire every time. <laughs> uh, so when I finally got to a daily where you had immediate deadlines every day, yeah. it made my life so much less stressful because you couldn't put it off. Yeah. You had to do it. I had a deadline. I did it, you know. So uh, that, that was uh, that was much better for me, uh, personally. How did you get to that? So I, I uh, when you would back in the day, uh, unlike today, when you can go to a, a town meeting and there maybe is nobody there mm -hmm. from the press, no no media there covering it. Uh, back then, I would cover the town meeting, and there'd be a reporter from the Star Ledger or a reporter from the North Evening News uh, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe a couple other uh, 
you know, maybe the Sec Herald uh, or, you know, so especially after the, the Newark Evening News went out of business in 1972 and then all the surrounding papers were trying to move into Essex County, un all unsuccessfully, I might add, because um, the Star-Ledger just became the paper for the, uh, for the county and uh, was a massive uh, success uh, circulation-wise, advertising, everything. But uh, so, I, you know, you would have contact with a lot of the other uh, – more experienced reporters from the daily papers. And there's a, there was a reporter for the Elizabeth Daily Journal named Bill Kennedy. He later became sports editor of, of uh, the Elizabeth Daily Journal, uh, but he was covering news at the time, and he had come from the Newark Evening News. <coughs> and uh, he liked me. And so when they wanted to hire somebody for their Essex County Bureau, and they were trying to move into Essex County as well, he recommended me, they hired me, and I worked nights in uh, Maplewood. They had a bureau office in Maplewood above the Maplewood Theater in the Maplewood Village. Um, it was sublet from an artist. So it was an artist's studio, and we had a little, like, a little corner of it with our desks. Two of us were there on teletype machines and whatnot. <laughs> uh, it was very interesting because uh, he, this artist uh, had a – habit of romancing his students, his art students, and so he would lock, <laughs> he would go into <laughs> his studio and the door would be locked. Uh, and, and my colleague at the time said, if his phone rings, he said, never answer it because it's his wife and you don't want to have to explain <laughs> where he is to his wife. So that was the rule, he didn't answer his phone. It was interesting. It was, uh, I did that for a while, and then I moved. They moved me down to Elizabeth to uh, cover City Hall in Elizabeth and the police. And I, I worked six in the morning till two. There was an afternoon paper, so the deadline was around noon. So I would go in uh, the police headquarters at six in the morning, read through the overnight reports, go down to my basement little office, and type up the uh, the police news on the teletype. have a couple hours to, you know, just do whatever, read the papers or whatever, and then I would go over to City Hall and work at City Hall from like 10 to, to 2, covering City Hall. Hmm. Interesting. And they made me assistant city editor, which meant that when when there was a uh, – somebody was absent on the desk in the morning reading copy, I would have to go in and read copy and then go to police yeah. headquarters and then go to City Hall. Yeah. So it was uh, – interesting uh, that's good so uh, so at this point you're you're you know fairly young in your career and, and you're you're chasing this is are you fully resigned to the fact that like, this is your career path this now? Is it. yeah this was it I've, i had stumbled into it and yeah. uh i was pretty you know because i had i was at the at the weeklies for maybe a little over two years and then I was at the, my first daily, and I, I really enjoyed working in Elizabeth. Elizabeth's a great town. Uh, the mayor was a, a man named Tom Dunn, who had been mayor forever, uh, probably my, almost my entire life. Uh, he had the mayor of Elizabeth, and a uh, very interesting guy. He was one of the very early supporters of Jimmy Carter for president in 1976. And I, as a result of that, one day I'm at an event with him and he hands me the phone and he says, here, interview Jimmy Carter. He handed me the phone and Jimmy Carter was on the phone 
Oh, I got to uh, do like a five or ten minute interview with the presidential candidate, uh, which was uh, really interesting. And, and then uh, he loved, Mayor Dunn loved to do weddings. He loved to perform weddings. And so when, when Kathy and I decided to get married, we got married in his, he had married us in his office. So you're, you're, you've seen some differences already. You've gone to weekly papers, to daily papers, and uh, and this is your career. So at that time, you know, where did you see yourself going? What's what's the ultimate? Yeah, for career you? path. Um, I don't know. You know, uh, the, uh, the the uh, the Daily Journal, the Elizabeth Daily Journal, which was one of the three oldest newspapers in the country, founded during the Revolution, mm -hmm. as the uh, New Jersey Journal. It was a guild, it was a newspaper guild paper, so we were unionized, and that was my, uh, my, both my parents had been union members in their jobs, and so, you know, now I was a union member, as a member of the newspaper guild, and I became active in the guild, but the, the result was, that, you know, that you, they had a uh, pay scale, and, you know, you could, you could see what the steps were, and you were going to be, mm -hmm. as you gained experience, you were going to get more money, and I became assistant city editor. That paid a little bit better. And so I could see it, you know, from $100 a week. You know, now I was maybe up to $300. But I, I still didn't have a uh, clear path. And there were other, like you talked about uh, public relations, a lot of people in newspapers would go into public relations because there was more money to be made there in, in the corporate world. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I said, yeah, that's a possibility. I could do that at some point. Then the newspaper jobs just kept, uh, you know, was I was at in Elizabeth for a little over, uh, probably about five and a half years, five, a little over five years. And then I got the, a job at the Courier News in Bridgewater as the night editor. I was in charge of the uh, news operation at night. So it was seven at night till three in the morning. Wow. And I, had only, I hadn't even been married a year at that point. So my wife was working nine to five, and I was working seven to three. So <laughs> we didn't really uh, see a lot of each other. Yeah, uh, sounds like how you grew up, just reversal couple of uh, years. times, right? Yeah. yeah, so it was interesting. And, uh, and then on the weekends, of course, I was, I was a night person. And so I would be, you know, wide awake at like two o'clock in the morning, and she was, you know, she was used to being in bed, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was a little bit of a tough thing. And we were living in North Arlington, so I was commuting to Bridgewater, which was, I don't know, 30-something miles mm -hmm. on Route 22 before Route 78 was open. So you slog through Newark and onto Route 22, and it was during the first gas crisis. So getting gas then became the big challenge. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd be sitting in a gas line on the parkway to buy a dollar's worth of gas for the next day or whatever, you know, and it was just a, it was a challenge. So the Courier News, you've been, you were there for how many years? I was there for about five and a half years. Uh, first the night editor, then I was the features editor, and then I was what they called the day news editor. That was the 4 a.m. Uh, to noon shift that uh, I was so sleep deprived, but I was actually in charge of the front page of the paper, which was very interesting, yeah. uh, and the 
makeup and everything, and then you know about about noon, the, the that afternoon's paper would close, and I you know I'd go home, and uh, then they had a on Saturday they were an AM, because believe it or not, most newspapers Saturday is the weakest day as far as circulation and sales goes because people are you know busy and they want to buy in the paper on Saturday. But in the Courier News, it was their strongest day because they had a TV book. If you, uh -huh. can, if you can remember back in the TV Guide, TV yeah. Guide was one of the most uh, widely circulated magazines in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but they had their own TV book, which was free in the Saturday paper. So uh, that was their big day. Everybody would go out to get the Saturday paper to get the TV book. So the yeah. Saturday was an AM. So I would work Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night for the next day, uh, no, daytime. Mm -hmm. And then I would work Friday night for Saturday morning, uh, which made it, you know, really odd schedule. Yeah. Yeah, so I did not have a full weekend. I had like a, a, a you know, aborted, uh, I had like Thursday nights off and then I had Saturday off after I got home, uh, you know, at like midnight, 1 a.m. on Saturday, but then I had to go back in on Sunday night. Right. Crazy, but anyway. So at that point, was there a desire to, to do something different, or just timelines? You know, do I did. I or? did flirt with uh, PR, applied mm -hmm. for a job or two in in the PR area, but it never never quite worked out. While I was at the Courier News, a friend of uh, one of my colleagues had gone from there to Newsday, the Long Island mm -hmm. Daily, and uh, he got me a, a tryout copy desk at Newsday and, and I, I went out for a week. They put me in a hotel and, and I worked nights and uh, it was there that I realized how parochial my experience was that I had never been anywhere except New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I'd lived my entire life in New Jersey. I didn't go away to school. I didn't go into the service. I was a j strictly Jersey guy. Right. And when I got out there and all the other people that I was working with, they were from all over the country. You know, mm -hmm. they had all kinds of experience moving from place to place and knew about it. And I thought, boy, you know, my, my uh, experience is very narrow. You know, yeah. I'm a, and uh, anyway, I didn't get the job at Newsday. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, moving to, we had to move to Long Island. Long Island was a very expensive place to live, although Newsday paid very well. The, yeah. the, you know, the week I was there, I got like hundreds of dollars more than I was making at the Courier News. Right. Uh, I didn't get the job. And shortly thereafter, uh, I, I got the uh, job at the Star-Ledger. So it all worked out uh, for the best. Sure. Uh, and the Star-Ledger uh, paid very well. It was a very, at the time, a very successful business. Huge circulation, one of the top uh, in the in the over four hundred thousand daily, over six hundred thousand Sunday. Yeah. It was one of the, the biggest papers in the country. Sure, uh, and uh, a great place to work for a long time. Yeah, yeah and it was. Uh, I I grew up in um, Bridgewater, so certainly knew of uh, a few of the things that you're talking about here. But it was always that we would rely on the Courier News, kind of you know, for our our daily. Uh, but we picked up the, the Star Ledger on the weekends as well. Sure. You know, to get that too. And really yeah, everybody got it on out. Sunday. Yeah. You got to get all the uh, supermarket ads yep. and all of that stuff, the magazines. 
Parade Magazine, which uh, was a Newhouse uh, company publication, was one of the largest circulating magazines in the country, and it was free in the Sunday paper. Uh, very substantial, hugely successful. So what were your responsibilities at Star-Ledger? So when I, I first went to the Star-Ledger, they hired me to be in the, uh, and you know, the, the, the narrow uh, scope of my experience was exactly what they were looking for. They wanted, so, so I had experience in Essex County, Union County, Somerset County, you know, they, uh, I was a, a, you know, had experience all over that whole middle of New Jersey kind of, uh, and uh, that's exactly what Mort Pye, the editor of the, the Ledger, he was always, for one thing he loved to do was to, to, to grab somebody from the competition, to like cherry pick their yeah. their people, and and add you know uh, not only not only increase the experience of his staff but deal a blow to the competition. He loved to do that. <laughs> so he hired me to be in the uh, Somerville bureau uh, covering Somerset County, and and uh, the uh, actually the bureau chief in Somerville uh, is also the bureau chief for Hunterdon County, Somerset and Hunterdon. And so I was a reporter. My bureau chief was uh, a great reporter named Rudy Larini, who, uh, whose talent was to be a reporter and not uh, so much a manager. And, and so after about a, 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 I covered some towns for a while, mm -hmm. and I thought, okay, so here I am now mid-career, and I'm back sitting in the Montgomery planning board meeting at night, you know, and I'm oh thinking, wow. what am I doing here? This is crazy, you know? Although I was making more money, obviously, but uh, but I was, uh, it was like a it was like a career uh, reversal, sort of almost going back to where I had started. Mm. But uh, sh and then I became the courthouse reporter in Somerville and got to cover some really important, uh, interesting trials, including the trial uh, in the murder of uh, State Trooper Philip Lamonico on Route 80 by these two uh, radicals. So-called radicals, uh, and uh, William Kunstler was the defense lawyer. So that was uh, that trial went on for months, and I was on the front page practically every day covering that. So it was like, and I always wanted to be a courthouse reporter. I thought that was really exciting, although most days it wasn't, <laughs> you know. But occasionally you get a murder trial or something that you think. Yeah. I covered the divorce trial of John DeLorean. That was in, in, that was in Somerville. That was an interesting thing <laughs> to do, uh, but. Uh, so then, you know, after a little over, uh, let's see, about a year and a half as a reporter, uh, Mort made me the bureau chief for Somerset and Hunterdon counties. And uh, just, just, just to contrast the way things are today, Somerset, I had 10 reporters and two photographers working for me covering the two counties. So now, they have nobody covering the two counties. Mm. So it's, uh, it was quite a change in a pretty relatively short amount of time. But uh, we did very well. We were the number one paper in the county, uh, in both counties. Uh, and uh, we did very well. I had great, great people working for me, great reporters, photographers, very talented people. And I, I enjoyed it very much. And then later on, I moved into features. I, did, I, did, I was the bureau chief for 12 years. Was a nice, nice long run, and then I moved into features, which uh, 
we talk about in news not knowing when your day was going to end. You know, my day, technically I, I worked 11 to 7, but if there was a fire or, or something news-wise happened at 5 minutes to 7, well, then you didn't go home, you stayed. You know, yeah. in features, you worked 10 to 6, 6 o'clock you went home. You know, that, so the last nine years or so that I was there, that, and that was a, that was a nice change. You know, to have regular hours and not not be uh, worrying about, you know, fires breaking out in the middle of the night and stuff. I can remember the first time uh, uh, carpooling home with a, f a friend of mine and uh, Hurricane Floyd was, was hitting, was about to hit, and we were going home. Everybody else was, like, getting ready to sleep in the newsroom overnight to cover the hurricane, yeah. and we were going home. So uh, we kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, this is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the job we could do after yeah. all, what we did there. You know, it's funny, um, just even speaking with you more, obviously, I've known you for, you know, a few years now, and uh, it's always interesting how people's lives, you know, do intersect or, or you share some things here and there. And uh, obviously, you know, being in the area and reading the Courier News and the Star-Ledger and doing that, you know, I, I, I know I've seen uh, some of your work in, in one way or another. You've also worked with uh, my oldest brother. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, he worked for the Courier News for, for a while and moved up from uh, writing some, some articles, being a reporter to being an editor, and, and he moved on from that business as well. Uh, but you mentioned the, the Monica trial, too, and at the time, our family had a, a business in downtown Somerville there, the, the Somerville Circle called JJ's Lawn and Garden Equipment. And uh, my job was to kind of pick up and deliver the equipment as well as fix some small engines and, and other various duties with sales and parts. But I re distinctly remember one day I was driving out to Hunterdon County, uh, I believe it was, I was on Route 22, and uh, a police car had passed me. You know, I was in the right lane, and I had my truck and trailer, and, and I said, well, I'm going to get around the slow traffic, and I pull into the left lane, not realizing that the four or five cars following that first trooper were all part of a caravan taking the prisoners from the Somerville Courthouse out to Huntington County. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And their lights were off. So, you know, I hears me getting in there, and, and immediately the, the sweat started pouring yeah. down and getting back in the right lane. and and realizing that I just got into the middle of a very important caravan that they thought maybe there's some suspect activity for me. Yeah, that, that, was, that was not good. <laughs> uh, and you were covering that. So that, yep. that was interesting. You also had mentioned John DeLorean, uh, who was one of our customers at, at Xavier's Lawn and Garden. So we, we got a chance to go out to his estate at the time and pick up and drop off some tractors. And yeah, and being, in, uh, being in Somerset County, I mean, you would encounter people like John DeLorean, uh, you know, having a coffee or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the Forbes, the Forbes family, Malcolm Forbes, Steve Forbes, yeah. uh, the Scribners. You know, there were a lot of really well-known people, and uh, and I, I, I sometimes had to caution my reporters who who people in the newspaper business generally did not come from wealth because it was not a, a high-paying uh, profession. Uh, although you know, it got better as mm -hmm. uh, you know, by the time I I uh, left, it was pretty well-paying. But uh, that they should treat everybody the same, you know. Don't be prejudiced against rich people, mm. you know. Yeah. Rich people can be good and bad. Poor people can be good and bad. You yep. know, just treat everyone the same. Uh, you know, 
because we did deal with a lot of very wealthy people. Sure. Uh, one of one of the things that that we always did on uh, on Thanksgiving Day, they would have the uh, the fox hunt up <coughs> in the Somerset Hills, yep. and uh, Jackie Onassis, Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, mm -hmm. was known to be in the fox hunt yep. sometimes with her son John Jr. John Kennedy Jr. and uh, our, we had a photographer that was very talented and had contacts yeah. and who inevitably, you know, through some effort and subterfuge and hiding in bushes and stuff, would get a picture of, uh, <laughs> of the Kennedy Onassis's yeah. uh, in the fox hunt, which was a great, great coup for the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we did have a lot of uh, interesting people that we got. And that one of the great things about being in newspapers was you were always um, dealing with interesting people. I can remember even in my first job uh, at in, in Maplewood at the, the weekly, the news record, Ma South Orange and Maplewood had a lot of uh, artists and professors and people that were really interesting. And I, I, can, I can remember I interviewed the, uh, the director of the City Museum of New York who lived in Maplewood, and his house was like a museum itself. Mm. In fact, he cautioned me not to give his address in the story because he was worried about uh, theft, you know, of these precious artworks he had. Uh, and I invented, I interviewed another guy who, uh, who uh, was a sculptor who made something called the Volkswagen chair. He made a chair out of parts from a Volkswagen that was, you know, had headlights in it. <laughs> it was really interesting. And, I, and sitting at my window, looking out on the field behind Columbia High School, I actually watched the kids invent the game of Ultimate Frisbee, which I don't know if people are aware, started at Columbia High School. And I, I, would, I would watch them, and it was like they were playing football, but they were using a, f a Frisbee instead of a football, you know? And yeah. I mean, what, what's going on there, you know? And then it became the, the game of Ultimate Frisbee, which is a yeah. pretty popular game. Absolutely. So it was always, in, you know, you always got to interview some interesting people. I mean, during uh, Stokely Carmichael, the uh, the black uh, uh, activist, uh, came to the Lamonaco trial mm. uh, in support of these radicals who were convicted of killing them. Uh, so I got to interview him. And then it was, uh, you know, occasionally you would get uh, John Amos, the the actor, uh, lived in Huntington County. I got to interview him one time. Mm. You know. It, it, was always it's something different. A lot of times it was routine stuff. Like uh, I remember covering the uh, auto insurance crisis in New Jersey, and that went on and on and on. And then uh, were, were we paying teachers enough? And that went on and on and on. And uh, you know, so some some stories you just thought, oh, this this is never going to end. I remember covering the hearings uh, leading up to the construction of the Bridgewater Commons Mall, and we thought, oh. I remember my, my night editor saying to me one night after a, a very long meeting and I was calling in my story and he said, he said, Joe, do you think they're ever going to build this thing? <laughs> and I thought, you know, Dick, I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. And then, of course, they did build it and it's, yep. it's there, been there for, you know, 30-something years now. But uh, I, I worked there, I, I know, and, and I know leading up to that time that, you know, it was like a lot of things you see, uh, maybe more so now, 
uh, you know, that was one of those uh, items that you're either on this side or that side. There yeah, was, there was, was not a lot of very controversial. Very yeah. controversial. Yeah. And uh, you know, when I covered the opening of Route 280, the uh, expressway mm -hmm. through Essex County and Morris County, nice. uh, you know, which was uh, you know quite a momentous event, Governor Cahill. I interviewed uh, Bill Bradley when he was a senator, mm -hmm. uh, who was a basketball hero yeah. of mine yeah. back in the day. Uh, you know, Absolutely. It, it was a very interesting career. And uh, I've so saying that, looking back right now, I've got a few uh, other quick questions that, um, looking back at the expanse of your career and doing all that, if let's just say, for example, that you did not end up being a writer for a newspaper and working those dailies, what other career would you ever have had an interest in, in, in doing? I think I would have been a teacher. Yeah. I really do. And, and that was something I, I uh, aspired to do. Mm -hmm. um, and late, later in my newspaper career, I did get to, uh, to teach journalism, which I really enjoyed. Uh, as an adjunct at uh, First Montclair State University was mm -hmm. my first one, and I did a semester I did at Seton Hall. And then for seven or eight years, I taught at Kane University, and I just loved it. I just yeah. loved the teaching, working with the kids, uh, and uh, you know the students were great. Uh, you know, towards the end, I would say to them, uh, uh, first day, you know, introduction to journalism, you know, first class, what are you doing here? Don't you realize this is a dying industry? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah. none of the, uh, towards the end, they, none of them wanted to really go into newspapers. They were all interested in doing, you know, working for websites and magazines and, you know, all of that. Uh, uh, they weren't really interested in newspaper journalism. But, but journalism is journalism. You know, you learn the, you learn the discipline. I, I always considered it a discipline of, of journalism. Get the facts, report the facts, do it as directly and as precisely as you can. Right. And uh, and oddly enough, you know, when the Twitter came out and you had a what was it, 240 char characters or whatever, you, mm -hmm. that that's a pretty good discipline right there. If you want to convey a message in 240 characters, yeah, uh, you need a little journalism ability to do that. The students were great, and I I really enjoyed uh, my time teaching. So you just also mentioned a few things there that you know over the course of your you know 40 years and, and uh, plus or minus that you have seen a lot of changes within the industry and, and you just mentioned you know twitter and social media and other things that even the jobs have changed so going to work you know for a company having a salary and benefits and maybe you know there's trends that writing articles or just doing certain things that you know they they want to write for websites and they want to do other things sum up kind of like your thoughts around some of the changes I that you've seen. I think today it's a much tougher job than it was when I started out. When I started out, you had a pen or a pencil or both because mm -hmm. I, I found out one time covering a fire in sub-zero temperatures that pens freeze up and they don't work. So that after that, I always had a pen and a pencil. Mm -hmm. um, but today you go out with like a, a backpack with a with a laptop, uh, maybe with a camera, maybe with a, a tape recorder, and um, you're constantly, you know, I would have, you know, uh, as a reporter, I would have a deadline, you know. Now you, you know, you get to the scene of an accident, fire, 
whatever, you're expected to like within minutes put something out, uh, a tweet or put something on the on the on the internet. Uh, it's just much more demanding than it was uh, when I started out in digital tools, um, and there's so f there's fewer of them, so yeah. you know they're required to do more, you know, be more places, do more things. Uh, it probably, the pay might be a little bit better than it was when I started out, but uh, I think the job is much more demanding. And I think, you know, some of the changes have resulted in a lot of my career, I was a copy editor, uh, and tremendous respect for copy editors. Mm -hmm. And I think there's fewer and fewer reporters now, which is scares me as an editor, uh, you know, they, they file directly to the internet and uh, with nobody in between, no buffer, nobody reading it, nobody checking it. And the, the thought is, well, you know, if there's a mistake, we can, we can correct it instantaneously. But I think that all uh, takes a little chink out of the credibility, you know, when you make mistakes and people see, you know, people are always coming to me and say, you see what the, the Star Ledger said? They got the name of the town wrong, you know? And uh, you know, I say, well, there's no, there's no copy editor. Nobody's checking it anymore, mm. you know, which uh, to me is, it's, it's a different, it's a different world. It's definitely a different world. So saying that and um, a previous piece that, that you were um, being an adjunct professor in, in journalism classes and, and kind of taking in consideration your career, um, if we're a student in your class right now, that what pieces of advice would you give to us uh, about going into this profession and what to do, maybe how to be prepared or, or you know, what I should I we know? I think it's still, I mean, in preparation wise, it's still pretty much the same, you know. Um, you know they, they used to uh, uh, say writers write, you know, so you write, just write as much as you can, start with a, Start with a, writing your own journal and just, just putting down your thoughts and uh, and uh, and read, just read. And, and now, electronically, you have access to so much more material than than like if I want to if I want to check a story in the Boston Globe, I can go online and do that. You know, it's I don't have to go to New England to buy the book. <laughs> you know, to buy the my right. one, one, uh, my wife used to get a kick out of me because when we wherever we were on vacation, the first thing I would do is go out and buy all the newspapers. And it was great fun for me to read, uh, you know, the Baltimore Sun or the Boston Globe or, uh, you know, whatever, the Detroit News, wherever you would be, and you could get a newspaper you weren't used to seeing, you know. And uh, now you, you have access to all of that. I read the, I read the Washington Post daily, mm -hmm. you know, which is just, to me, wonderful to be able to do that. But, uh, you know, somebody starting out, needs to have that kind of vast, uh, be, be curious about the world, know about, I used to give my students um, for extra credit, uh, current events tests every class, you know, just to make sure they were, they were, uh, I, I, the first day I would give them a questionnaire, okay, what, what newspapers do you read? What magazines do you read? What, what uh, radio stations do you mm -hmm. listen to? What TV news do you watch? And I'd be always be shocked that so many of them couldn't answer any of those questions. They didn't do any of that. You know, I get my news from uh, Facebook or, you know, whatever. 
Yeah. So I would encourage them to read uh, local newspapers and uh, national newspapers and uh, check websites for, for news. So that, and then I would ask them basic questions about the news because we really have to be in the, you know, in the, there's a lot of specialization now. Sports reporter is, is into sports business. Is writing about salaries and salary caps and mm. and all those things. And uh, and uh, you know, uh, people specialize in particular industries and what have you. But I think you, for starting out, you really have to be a generalist. You have to know a little bit about everything and just try to educate yourself about what's going on around you all the time. Just be aware. And especially to, you know, today there's so much. Yeah. misinformation and yeah. bad uh, conspiracy theories and everything out there that, that just uh, maddening, you yeah. know, because they're so easily debunked by right. somebody who is interested in finding out the truth. Yeah. So I think that's that's what I would advise youngsters starting out in journalism to, to do. Okay. So I have two quick remaining questions. Uh, looking back on your career, that was there anything that maybe you wish you did differently or taken an opportunity or I don't know, just was there a moment that hmm, it could have gone in a different direction for whatever reason? No, you know, I can't really say. I mean, I, I my, my career had a uh, an arc that was in my favor. You know, mm -hmm. I did better as I went along and uh, – able to uh, you know buy a house raise a family uh, and uh, meet a lot of one, one thing I miss about being in the newsroom is all the tremendous creative people you would be around every day and the conversations were always wonderful and the people mm. had you know people had specific knowledge about things that that was very interesting and uh, and I, I just think it was a and 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 a lot of really eccentric people you come across in the newspaper business. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, just a lot of fun. I could tell stories about people I worked with that, uh, you know, they'd be like characters from, uh, you know, Mark Twain or something, <laughs> you know, that was just funny and, and yeah. interesting. So I, I can't really say I would have done anything differently. I've had a great career. I love being here in this, you know, in my semi-retirement and uh, just really enjoyable. So That's good. It's, it is interesting that you know and I would agree that being around people, especially interesting, creative people, you know, is always uh, fascinating to, to learn. And we have that here in the, in the school mm -hmm. district. I mean, because people come from all different disciplines and there were some really interesting people, not, not right. just the creative arts people, but the, the trades, uh, people teaching the different trades and yep. whatnot really interesting absolutely absolutely and this changing world that we live in and a lot more people are working remotely uh that maybe i i, I look at that i know i've looked over time and just said uh, there's a, an aspect of of being around other people you know on, on a frequent basis that you you kind of miss uh, oh, doing yeah. something remotely definitely definitely so very last question then uh, where do you go from here <laughs> Well, you know, I'm I'm uh, two I've, I've, I've you know two or three part time jobs that I do uh, that I 
think I could do for a number of years mm. into the into my old age, and uh, I enjoy doing. So I'm not I'm not under pressure to be make making money or anything. Uh, one great thing about all those years at the Star Ledger, I have a pension. I have my health benefits paid for by uh, you know that pension plan at the Star mm -hmm. Ledger. So it's been a been good. And uh, but I'm yeah, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and I I'm going to do it as long as I can physically do it. I think good you know, as long as the powers that be here uh, want, want me to work, I'll keep working. Well, I hope you, uh, to work with you for a long time yet. You're doing a great job here, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's wonderful getting the, the good stories out there uh, about some of the things happening. Yeah. You do, do it very well. You've brought certainly a long time experience uh, to this position. You do it very well. So, um, you know, I wish you nothing but good health and <laughs> happiness and, and good luck. And, and you're one of my better sources because you're, you're one of those people that thinks about getting the story out. Everybody doesn't do that, you know. Mm. And a lot of times I don't hear about things until it's too late to, uh, to take advantage of them. But you're, you're, you're good about uh, letting me know what's going on, which is great. Yeah, there's many times that, that things come up and go, oh, we have to get uh, Joe Bakers involved here. You know, you got to get the in interest there and, and you know, get, get a story on it. So. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating hearing about your career and, and the between the bullet point moments and uh, what you got you uh, all the way through your lifetime there. There's a whole lot of other things happening in your personal life at the same time, uh, and, and you're, you're doing quite well. So I, I look forward to hearing a lot more from you <laughs> and, and being with you in the future. But, but thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. I enjoyed it. That wraps up this episode of Between the Bullet Points. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of The Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points.